it's always the same thing. It's it's them already knowing the industry, already knowing that something's going to work or having an idea that something's going to work and, and then just saying that it won't or pretending that it won't, which leaves actors kind of catching up to the industry, catching up to the financial gains, uh, the financial benefits that the top percent, the AMPTP, the, the CEOs of those big companies, they're raking in, leaving us to hopefully qualify for health insurance or hopefully make enough to pay our mortgages or our rents. Hello and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, which is brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be speaking with actor and educator Charles Andrew Gardner, who is the president of the Chicago local branch of the union SAG-AFTRA. Now, if there's ever an art restart moment, surely this is it. A labor strike by 160,000 artists demanding a major change in the status quo. When I spoke to Charles, the SAG-AFTRA strike was just over five weeks old. So, in case you need it, here's a quick recap of what the strike is about. It concerns specifically SAG-AFTRA's future contract with the AMPTP, which stands for the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The major sticking point has to do with residual payments for actors on streaming projects, which, as you know, constitute a huge portion of today's entertainment landscape and therefore of actors' income. The producers claim many streaming platforms are still not always profitable. The actors point to the exorbitant salaries of the streamers' CEOs, for instance, as proof that that claim is not true and that they're being robbed of their basic livelihood. Other items on the negotiating table are a recognition of the rising costs and demands of the self-taped audition, which has become de rigueur for actors, increased contributions to the union's health care and retirement funds, and an agreement limiting and or monetizing the use of AI-generated actor likenesses in projects. Okay, so that's the strike. Now let's talk about our guest, because of course the episode is about art as much as it is about restart. Charles Andrew Gardner grew up in Chicago and studied acting at Northern Illinois University. He is a company member with Timeline Theater and has acted on several of Chicago's important stages. He has appeared on the Chicago-filmed TV shows The Shy and Chicago PD, and his film credits include Long Ride Home and Olympia. He has also shot several national commercials for brands including Hyundai and Liberty Mutual, and he has many credits as a voiceover artist. I started our talk by asking Charles what made him want to remain in Chicago and base his career there after college. Yeah, when I came back from school, um, I really started to explore what success truly looked like outside of being able to be a successful actor, but what else was important to me. And I started teaching as a, a substitute teacher, and then shortly after, after I realized uh, <laughs> I wasn't cut out to be a substitute, <laughs> my heart goes out to all substitute teachers. But I knew that I wanted to be a teaching artist, 
and and grow my education in leadership facets of myself. And I knew that if I moved to LA, if I moved to New York, uh, kind of like that actor switch, or at least I thought that actor switch would turn on and I would, you know, the blinders would go on and I would, you know, ignore everything else to, you know, pound the pavement and really make it as an actor. And so Chicago offered me the space to grow as an actor as well as an educator and as a leader. So that really, really made Chicago stand out to me. I'm also, like I said, from Chicago. So my family's here, my community's here. I am one of those seasonal people. So I love seasons. I love everything about the community of Chicago. So it just really felt like a the perfect fit. You mentioned that one of the reasons you you wanted to stay in Chicago was not only to pursue your art, but also both your teaching practice mm-hmm. and your leadership. So I want to talk about deciding to become head of the Chicago local branch of sag After. What went into that decision? Yeah, it started with a good friend of mine, Troy Pryor. We, we've known each other almost about 15 years now. And we were both voiceover actors at a talent agency in town. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, Charles, that you know, I'm on the board right now of SAG-AFTRA. Uh, and I think it might be a good idea for you to join. I think that they could use your voice. I think they could use your, your talents uh, and your leadership. And uh, so I, I, I joined SAG-AFTRA in 2012, let me say that, just right after the merger. And uh, in 2015, I ran for the board and I got elected. And I've always been the person that when I belong to something, I truly want to belong to it. And so uh, while I'm sitting on the board, I knew that he was right, that that they could use my leadership, they could use my uh, innovation, they could use my creativity. And so the next year, uh, the next term uh, in 2017, I actually decided to run for the president. I put together a whole package of ideas of things that I wanted to see happen in the local education's empowerment and professional development. And I approached the then, you know, the current president and I and I literally just I, I asked him, I said, hey, I got a bunch of ideas. I got a bunch of energy and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to put in the work. And uh, would you be willing to step down so that way we you know can run uncontested uh, Chicago has a very long history of uncontested you know elections just you know one one voice type of a town there's not a lot of politics in our SAGAFTRA leadership and so when that happened he said well what's the if I'm going to step down what's the plan and because I was already ready because I had already prepped uh, I just laid out a lot of the things that I wanted to get done and uh, as of this past year I just ran uncontested and I'm going into my fourth term as the the current president wow congratulations uh, can you. you talk about some of that those innovations you you were planning to put in place yeah 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 so um I'm a, like I said, I'm an educator, and uh, I've always known that for myself, the more education that I have, the more readiness that I have in my own craft, the more I can allow myself to be present and in the moment. And so I wanted to bring a lot of that education right to the union, 
because if if producers are going to be using Chicago talent, I wanted them to be the best, not only from producers' perspectives, but also from our own perspectives, right? Like I, I wanted my members to know that when they stepped on set, when they, you know, stepped in front of their their self-tape setup for an audition, they had confidence in their ability. So one of the things that we initiated very early on was on-cam jams and voiceover jams. Uh, and those were basically opportunities for members to um, pick a side, a, a, a piece of commercial a copy, or excuse me, an audition copy, an audition side, if it's for television, and work on it, and then come together as union members and sharpen each other, you know. I put my audition on tape and then we watch it back with the group of 15, 20 people. We give each other feedback. We try it again. So that way, when we do get those auditions, when we do walk on set, it's not the first time. We're not warming up, but we are enacting the practice that we've already put in place. So just just building that skill, that muscle uh, in a controlled environment. Some other uh, workshops that we've built were around the same thing, uh, just around getting us uh, opportunities to audition, getting us, giving us opportunities to work on our craft. Uh, we also initiated Wake Up Wednesdays, uh, which is uh, a fellowship and uh, a community building opportunity where literally we just wake up, we stop in the office. Uh, during pandemic, we pivoted to virtual uh, and now we're back in person. Uh, where we just get together and have a cup of coffee and talk about what's on our minds or talk about what's going on or if there's any industry updates. We just, you know, sit around with some some coffee and, and chop it up or, or chat it up. What might the average person who's reading about the strike from a newspaper not understand about what's at stake? Like, and actually to talk about you personally, what what personally is at stake in what you're fighting for? So two main things. I kind of take a tangent first, and then I'll answer more directly uh, your question. I think the average reader, the average American worldwide, whatever I like to call them, moguls, muggles. What is it? Is it from Harry Potter? The yeah. the non wizards, uh, the, <laughs> the non showbiz folk, the non showbiz folk. The average person, when they think about SAG-AFTRA. Think about the high pros. They think about the celebrities. They think about the people who um, are negotiating partners. Uh, the AMPTP kind of says, you know, they tried to 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 put. Uh, they can afford it. The act, the actors, they got it. They they're okay financially. That's what the average person thinks about. At least in my my findings, when I'm talking to people, they think about the celebrities, the people who are rich or wealthy. But what they don't think about is the fact that SAG-AFTRA actually belongs to the AFL-CIO, which is a, a labor organization. We're a labor union. We're laborers. Actors are a lot like plumbers or electricians or carpenters, where we practice our trade, we get really good at our trade, but at the end of the day, we are still looking for opportunities on a day-to-day -day basis. We are still hoping to string together enough bookings so that way we can pay our mortgage or we can pay our rent so we can keep our, our lights on, we can keep food on the table, we can uh, hopefully, uh, if we have children, afford them a greater educational opportunity and, and, and provide for them and provide for the rest of our family. 
So that's, I think, the one first misconception. And then what I'm hoping to get out of this strike is a future, a brighter future, not just for myself, but for all of the students that I teach and for all of the students who I haven't even had a chance to teach yet. When I was coming up, I didn't know about SAG-AFTRA. I didn't. Um, I grew up pretty poor on the South Side, and uh, my mom did everything that she could to support me in my career. You know, she put me in classes at a very early age, at nine years old. I, I started acting at a, at a acting camp, which was also a community theater uh, on the South Side called ETA, and I was learning all about confidence and stage presence and and truly leadership. But I wasn't learning about unionism. I wasn't learning about this organization that I could join that would put, you know, consistent food on my table and 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 that would give me access to health care and that would give me a pension. You know, I, I wasn't learning about that. And so what I'm hoping we get out of this strike is the same thing that came out of the last strike. The last strike uh, in the 80s, that's when we actually got a current health plan. That's when we got our a large part of our current residual structure. That's when a large addition to our pension plan came into play. And so I'm hoping that this strike gives us the foundation to move forward for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Now, I hope that we don't have to go on strike again because I hope that this also shows the, the industry and, and the general public and, and I think you know, uh, specifically the AMPTP, uh, how strong and united SAG-AFTRA is. So I hope we don't have to go on strike again, but uh, I hope that they know that if we need to, we will. And I hope that, like I said a a little while ago, that we get all of the residual structures uh, from uh, streamers that that they're asking for, that we're asking for uh, in negotiations, um, I say they because we have a, a negotiating team that does all of the negotiating for us. Right, because during the last strike, there was we couldn't even imagine the thought of streaming. It's entirely new. Right, it's it's entirely new, you know. But it was it was a similar concept, though. Oh yeah, we don't know uh, this this cable thing. We don't know if cable is going to stick right. around. <laughs> oh yeah, this this VHS thing. We don't know if that's going to stick around. So it's all it's always the same thing. It's it's them already knowing the industry, already knowing that something's going to work or having an idea that something's going to work and and then just saying that it won't or pretending that it won't, which leaves actors kind of catching up to the industry, catching up to the financial gains, uh, the financial benefits that the top percent, the AMPTP, the the CEOs of those big companies that they're raking in, leaving us to hopefully qualify for health insurance or hopefully make enough to pay our mortgages or our rents. So I'm hoping that that's what we get from this, you know, a brighter future where the industry is still balanced and it is financially viable to be an actor, to be an entertainer. And so how are you and your fellow strikers holding up? What's it like on the on the lines? It's tough, but it's joyful and it's full of solidarity. I say tough because this is one of our main contracts. And let me clarify that, that we're not on complete strike, right? This is not an a, a industry-wide shutdown. These are only the, the, the TV theatrical contracts that we negotiate with the AMPTP. So there are 
uh, still commercials being filmed and recorded. There are still some voiceover things happening uh, if it's not for television. There's still some animation things. There's, there's still some film things still happening. There are what's called an interim agreement, which is the union recognizing that not everybody should be lumped into that one category. So if you adhere to the current agreement, um, that we are negotiating for, then you can get the green light from the union to move forward with your productions. But if we're on strike against your production company or that studio, then that work is the work that has come to a halt. Um, so that's that makes it tough. And uncertainty is tough. Our, our industry is already uncertain for the actor, right? I get an audition. I pour my heart, my soul, all of my creativity into this 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 role for the, a couple of days. And then I cross my fingers and I hope that the stars will align and, and I will get that part. That's uncertainty and that's tough. But to, to say, we don't even know when we're going to come back to the table, you know, especially when you have people out in Hollywood trimming trees so that way strikers don't have shade. When you have people out in Hollywood saying, you know, um, we're going to wait out the writers until they lose their homes, they, you know, until they're out on the streets and they'll take any deal. You know, that is, it's terrible. It's not bargaining or, or, or negotiating in good faith. And it's not a unified front, you know. And that, so that's, that's it, it's, it feels tough to, to witness that side of the industry. The other side of it, though, that joy and that solidarity is the fact that at least here in Chicago, and from what I can tell on calls with other national leaders and and just all of the social media and, and media coverage that we're getting, our strike lines are not waning. Mm-hmm. Our solidarity is growing in numbers, you know, and it's joyful to see that so many people support us, you know. Not only just union members, sac after members, but also other labor unions and also general muggles, <laughs> non-industry folk. Everyone that I talk to says, hey, why, why are y'all striking? You know, I, I, I get it. I support you, but I want to understand. They really want to understand our plight right now. And so that feels joyful to know that we will come out on the other side victorious, to know that we will come out in, in, a, in a glorious win. That gives me hope. And to see everyone's face as, as we continue to rally and to picket and to strike, that gives me joy as well, you know, to continue to build community. I've seen more members over the past couple of weeks than I have in the last couple of years. <laughs> So, you know, I say that to my members constantly, just stay joyful, stay building solidarity because it will come to pass. And anybody that's listening to this, I say the same thing. Just keep believing that it will turn out for our good because it will, you know, the strike won't last forever. I said to, I said on a panel yesterday, uh, speaking of Troy Pryor uh, at the XL Film Festival uh, out on the south side of Chicago, it's the second annual film festival specifically uplifting uh, Black creatives. And I said on the panel that during this strike, get out on the picket lines, get out on the, on, the, on, the, on the rally lines, but also stay still for a second. Actors have this thing about being booked and busy. Um, I know I had it a lot in my, the beginning of my career. Um, and in times like this, in times like the pandemic, we were forced 
to stay still for a second. And in that stillness, while we wait, there's an opportunity. Of course, there's an opportunity to be downtrodden. There's an opportunity to be, you know, um, uh, lose hope or, 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 or to be frustrated. But there's also an opportunity to look inward and to see what you truly want success-wise, what you truly want your career to look like, what you truly want your habits and your hobbies to look like, where your passion truly lies. And in, in finding those things, you find a fire, you find uh, a light that can't be extinguished, regardless of pandemic, strike, out of work, waiting on work, or working, right? It is that kind of like guiding guiding voice, that guiding light for yourself that truly gives you happiness and truly gives you your own authentic idea of success. Hmm. You are about to head into a school year, a new school year Mm -hmm. at DePaul if it hasn't started already. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in your classes, there's a few students who are, have expressed an interest in doing this work professionally. Mm -hmm. What Do you tell them now in 2023 that you might not have heard when you yourself were a student? That's a great question. Um, I get, I got to give props. I got to (laughs) give, I got, I got to give props to my professors. They, they set me up pretty well. A lot of what I believe to be true about acting, uh, I received while I was at Northern. A lot of what I uh, believe to be true about just what I was just speaking on a second ago of just being still and finding your passion and your own idea of success. Those seeds were planted while I was at Northern. Well, actually, I can't, I, I got to go back even further before then for, for that idea of just that internal compass. Uh, that came from while I was at ETA, one of my, my movement instructors, Mama Jerry, she used to say to us, we were doing Catherine Dunham dance technique, which is a combination of Afro-Caribbean dance movement and music. And we would be doing this floor progression, walking down the the, the floor, uh, dance floor with our, our shoulders down and back and our chest up and out, our chin out, you know, up and out. And Mama Jerry, this amazingly powerful Afrocentric, you know, a buzz cut. In, and I'm talking about buzz cut in, in, in the 90s. <laughs> so it wasn't a fad yet. Um, it was just a, an extension, an expression of, of, of just self. And she would say to us, I don't care if you go on to be an actor, uh, an artist, a, a, an architect, or an astronaut, you're going to be able to walk into any room with your head held high and they're going to know that you belong. So like as nine-year-old Charles <laughs> with a, a group of other black, young black kids, that was the original seed, hmm. you know? But when I got to Northern, it was definitely cultivated. It was definitely, you know, added to. Um, so I would say the same things that that all of the, the shoulders that I stand on poured into me to find yourself first. I call it the stank. Right. <laughs> I call, I find, call, find your own stank, right? Find your own authentic voice. That's what I try to pour in because audition after audition, yes, maybe a no, maybe a bunch of no's. The one thing that remains is you, your experience, your perspective, and truly your voice 
that you give to every single audition, that you give to every single role. That's, that's, that's the magic, right? Technique, yeah, sure, great. We'll learn all of that, you know? Creativity, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll amplify that. But if you are constantly trying to speak as someone else, if you're constantly trying to become the character, but not necessarily thinking about what parts of myself are present in that character, you're pretending and, and, and in not a good way the entire time. I think that a lot of problems come along with that, you know, constantly searching and, and, and hoping that you find happiness, constantly searching and hoping that you find success. Imposter syndrome, because you don't know who you are. So when you get somewhere, you may have the success, but you don't know why specifically you got that success. So finding that out early on, I think, is is imperative. And I think another thing that I would say to my my young students is to have fun. <laughs> Just have fun, y'all. It's we get to, you know, the good pretend. We get to play pretend for our lives. We get to play pretend for our passions and and for our careers. You know, I, I got a, a lot of flack from a lot of my fraternity brothers. I, I pledged Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated in college. And I would get a lot of flack from them. They was like, oh, oh Chuck, you, you know, you, you going, you going to play make-believe? And I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. You know, but now I, I look at a lot of them and they're, they are picking up art now, you know, 15 years out of, out of school, picking up art. They are making career pivots because yeah they were they were following a, the idea of a of a job they were following an idea of 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 making some money but they weren't following what made their their soul happy they weren't following what made their heart sing you know so i would say have fun and follow that right right from the beginning if you'd like to learn more about Charles and read a longer version of this interview, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre-Carlos Lenti, and on behalf of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening. <laughs>